The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon and welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Nina Jones-Cox, and in this week, as in every week, we're working hard to make sure that you have the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today we're going to talk about a topic that should be at the top of everybody's mind in this super competitive market which is how to successfully deal with sellers. And to help me out with that topic, I have as my guest, Derek Dombeck, who has been a successful investor since 2002, which means he's seen some down markets too. <laughs> I always love it when I see that somebody's Somebody's been in the market since prior to say 2011, where it's just been nothing but up. If you got in in 2002, you had about four to five years of up, and then you had, well, let's just say you have the scars to prove that you were investing in 07, 08, 09, 2010. He's been involved in hundreds of transactions from wholesaling and retailing to providing rental housing, lending. What he's kind of famous for, at least in the circles that he runs in that I get to hear from, is negotiating with sellers. He really likes putting together creative solutions with sellers that other people just, they not only can't do it when he tells them about it, they go, ooh, and ah, and what, how, how did you do that? So in addition to that, he... Also gives back a lot to the real estate community as a coach and a mentor and a, a, gosh, a private lender, all sorts of different things. He's got a real passion for helping other folks become successful too, which is why he is joining us today from his home in Wisconsin. Welcome, Derek. Thanks for having me, Vina. I am, I'm thrilled to have you here and I'm going to be very curious to see how this thing that you normally would be doing at your kitchen table comes across on the radio. Can we really, can we really help people understand the depth of what, what I hear called seller negotiation? I hear Derek is, is such a good quote, seller negotiator is, do you like that term? Does that feel like what you really do? I, I don't like the term negotiator because I think it, it people have a negative belief that somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. So I really just see myself as a real estate problem solver. And 
and I absolutely can do it over the phone, over the radio, at the kitchen table. It, it's really not that hard. Well, you know, you say that, but surely you're aware <laughs> from, <Of course>. being, <laughs> from being a, a coach and mentor to other people that a lot of folks do not see it that way at all. It's a really, a lot of people get really, before they even do it, like if they're just considering maybe someday having to talk to a seller, they get really like bent out of shape with about it. What is it about it that you're seeing that other people don't seem to be seeing? I think if you reverse your psychology to to imagine that other person that's getting ready to call you or that you're about to meet with at their kitchen table, I, they're more nervous than you are in 99% of the cases. And if you go into that interaction knowing that you're there truly to help them and not take advantage of them, you owe it to them to help them and, and have that conversation. If you're there to take advantage of them, you should feel nervous. And that's kind of the, the little mental twist I put on it to get myself psyched up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The market's competitive where you are too, right? Like yeah. you're not in the one place in the United States where deals are still thick on the ground and sellers, sellers don't think their properties are worth anything and they're just giving them away. So experiencing this now that you're, you know, you're, you're pretty experienced investor at this point, experiencing this incredibly competitive market. How big an advantage do you think it is that you're, you're really comfortable talking to sellers and, and the approach you take to them? Um, I think that it's a huge advantage. Number one, number two, it, it should have been something that I was taught when I first started learning this business and not the last thing I learned. And that's exactly how it, it typically is because it's not it's not an exciting topic. It's not fun for real estate educators to sell a course or a training on negotiations. Um, but you're, every every second you're awake, you're negotiating something, whether it's with your children, your spouse, a contractor, a banker, an attorney, a seller, a buyer. The list goes on and on and on. Every social interaction is essentially a negotiation. And I really feel like that's where most investors fall short because they take almost zero time to get educated on how to talk to people properly. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's because they don't understand the importance of it? Because the education business focuses so much on the tactics on, you know, how do I find the deal? How do I, how do I figure out what it's worth? How do I wholesale it? How do I retail it? And there, there's people give like lip service to, Oh no, it's not really about the properties. It's really about the people. But I, I, I never felt when I was learning that they really, the people who were teaching that really meant it because then they didn't go on to say how it was I was supposed to deal with the people. Exactly. And they'll, you know, you'll learn how to market and spend a bunch of money to try and get leads to come in and you spend no time figuring out how to actually convert those leads to contracts into deals and it's counterproductive. So that's my, that's my focus now is, is I want to capitalize on every lead that comes in no matter what. And, and in some cases, Vina, it may not be that I end up buying that property, but I, I get deals months or years in the future because I left value with that person. Mm-hmm. 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 
We need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about Derek's approach, both kind of generally and philosophically and, and real specifically about what sorts of things he's talking to these sellers about and how maybe you can take advantage of some of his experience and stop worrying so much about your competitors because they don't know how to do it. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Nina Jones-Cox, talking today to Derek Dombeck, a guy who, like, I go to conferences, and he's often there, and people will say to me, have you met Derek? He's the best seller negotiator I've ever met in my life. Like, it's a thing at these events that I, I hear about how great Derek is at the at the kitchen table. And so we're going to try and unpack what makes Derek so great. And of course, listeners, what's important about it to you is how can you emulate whatever it is he's doing that's so great. So big picture, Derek, if you just, if you had like, you know, 15 words to describe your general approach to any seller that you might be talking to, what is that? What, what would you say? Um, care about them more than you care about your own goals and try and put yourself in their shoes. I don't prejudge anybody because I have been proven wrong time and time again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So ju- that's, to, I assume when you walk into a, a discussion with a seller with that attitude, they can feel it pretty quickly. Absolutely. They, they can feel that you're different than the other nine people they've talked to who are all about what's your bottom dollar. And the other th- part of that is I-, I will get very vulnerable when I need to. So if I'm dealing with somebody that's been through financial turmoil, foreclosure, bankruptcy, as you mentioned earlier, you know, we've been in this business a long time. I went through those in 2007 through 2010, all those lumps. And I know the feelings and I know the how their interactions are based off of where they are in their process. Um, so if, if, if it, means that I, I'm going to be able to connect with them. I, I will talk to them about my past and the fact that I've been through foreclosure. I do, in fact, know how you feel. Mm. You know, see that right there is very interesting because, you know, the, the, the thing that most worries most new investors is they are afraid they won't be able to build credibility in the sense of it, the seller is not going to think I'm experienced enough, good enough, smart enough, fast enough on my feet. And you're saying after all these years, you kind of almost take the other tack and say, nope, I'm a human being. I've been where you are. Do you know the follow the herd mentality? I do the exact opposite of the herd. The rest of the herd is is doing what you just said. They want to wear a suit and tie and they want to, you know, drive a, a BMW or, or a fancy car or something like that. And I just want to relate to the people, walk in and, and be in my jeans and a t-shirt or, or something that makes me feel like I'm approachable and I'm equal to them. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in no way at any level higher in status than they are ever. So I was going to ask you what your script for talking to sellers looked like, but I, I'm, I'm starting to get the feeling there isn't a script. There isn't a script, but I, you know, you want to have something either mentally after you've done it for years, it, it kind of becomes mental, but you want to have something in front of you. So you hit your bullet points. You don't want to leave any questions unanswered, but I do have about a 30 second to one minute um, 
little elevator pitch that I give everybody. And what it does is it sets me up to ask them a lot of other questions that they won't be offended by after I give them that little elevator pitch. Do you mind if I give it to you? Yeah, we got 30 seconds. So I'm just going to use you, Vina, as a seller. I'm going to say, Vina, we buy houses in several different ways. All cash is typically going to be my lowest offer because we're tying up cash. If that doesn't fit, we can buy your property maybe by taking over your payments, making payments to you over time. If you don't have debt, we can lease your property and put a document in place to purchase it at a later point, or we can use land contracts. I just tell you all this, Venus, you know that there's more than one way that we can solve your real estate challenge today. Hmm. Okay. Tell me more. (laughs) So that's a variation of course it's, you know, within a few words of what I say to every seller and that's typically on the phone. Um, Mm -hmm. So now when I go and start asking them, do you have any debt on the property? And I don't say words matter, right? I don't say, what's your mortgage? How much do you owe on a property? I, I say it very softly and I say, Vina, do you have any debt left on the property? And because of that little elevator pitch, they know why I'm asking because I have multiple strategies. I, it makes sense that I'm asking these questions to look at their scenario, their personal situation and figure out how I, you know, what strategy can best solve their problem. And that is what's really helping me today, Vina, because all of my competition is just making cash offers and, that's really the only tool they have in their toolbox from right at the beginning. I'm showing them that my cash offer may not solve your problem, but this other one could this other, you know, option or, or lease or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So walk us, walk us through this from before that point. I just, I just want kind of a, a general overview for listeners of how, how have you gotten in contact with this person? Are they calling you? Are you calling them? Yeah. So the way we have it structured right now, all of our marketing um, comes down to a call center and we have a a couple dedicated people that answer the phones. They are screening and and gathering the information. They, uh, they do put it into a, a CRM and they do have access to my calendar. So, they are scheduling 25 minute phone calls with the the sellers. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I get on the phone, the only research I really do is I look at the notes from that um, interaction when the, my call center took the call and I will typically Google the address and try and see if I can get a visual, some pictures. Um, And that's it. I really don't want a whole lot of details because I feel like that almost skews my conversation to not ask enough questions. And I will tell you, Vina, even if I know the answer, like if, if they told my answering service that they want a hundred thousand dollars for the property, I will still always ask them, what are you asking for the property again? Or something along those lines. Cause it's amazing. After you talk to somebody for 10 or 15 minutes, um, they've talked themselves down potentially from mm-hmm. what they told the answering service before. Mm-hmm. So if I just said, oh, I see you're asking $100,000 for your property, Vina, I might have just cost myself twenty grand. Okay. Okay. The purpose then of the call center is they're, they're not trying to get all the information and then 
sending it to you to decide whether to go to the property. They are, I assume, left swiping the people who are calling and saying, never send me another piece of mail or um, my house isn't for sale or I already sold it. Just the stuff that that Correct. you yes. don't need to be on the phone with those people. You need to be on the phone with the people who actually are motivated. Are they doing any other screening to say this one does not go to Derek? They don't. Um, and part of that is by design. I don't want them to because if I have a lead that let's say it's a retail seller and there's absolutely no way I'm ever going to be able to buy their property at a discount or the way that would make sense for me. I still want to talk to those people because I use private investors and, and raise private capital. So if somebody happens to sell their property for $250,000 and they don't need that $250,000. Well, maybe they end up being a private investor. Hmm. So I, again, I want to take, I spent money to get these leads. I want to take every opportunity I can to have these discussions with people. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Multiple businesses, multiple opportunities to make a lead into something, even if it's not a purchase. So your first conversation you said was on the phone. If they're, if they're talking to Derek for 25 minutes, it's going to be on the phone to begin with. Mm-hmm. What is the goal of that conversation and what information do you have to gather before you can decide to take the next step? Uh, I work a very wide area in Wisconsin, so it's not uncommon for me to buy property 100 miles away. And I typically don't want to drive and meet with a seller unless I know that we're within a certain range of of being our accepted offer. So on that first conversation, I'm making them an offer, um, a verbal offer, and it's going to be based off of that conversation. I'm going to essentially, I would say it like this, um, Vina, based off this short conversation and the information that you've given me, I would likely be willing to pay you somewhere between 50 and $60,000 for your property. Do you think that's worth our time for us to get together? Okay. So there's a soft offer there. Yes. And let's assume I say, oh, uh, no, absolutely not. I'm at 80000 and not a dime less. What happens now? At that point, I would ask you, or, or I, I would say the exact words would be, Vina, I may not be your best option at this point, but I am an option. Do you mind if I follow up with you in 30 days and just stay in contact with you? Hmm. Okay. So there's nothing wrong with pulling back and in telling people maybe I'm not your best option and it, uh, miraculously which isn't really a, mirac- a miracle um about 50% of them come back after they go and try on their own after the market tells them that you were right to start with <laughs> correct <laughs> yeah so yeah no i i like that i i like that as advice for folks who are scared of negotiating or who do the other thing which is they beat deals that aren't going anywhere to death. They've done the research. They've looked at the comps. They've heard that the seller said there's a hole in the roof. They do their numbers. They come up with 50 to 60. The seller says 80, and then they drive an hour to go see the seller's house anyway. That's disrespectful, not only, of course, to your own time, but also to the seller's time. So do you hear that, listeners? The approach is, if it ain't going to work, Admit that it ain't going to work, but do follow up because sometimes the market tells people something different than what they might think right now. 
Uh, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to answer a few seller, or seller questions. See where my brain is right now? We're going to answer a few listener questions. And then we're going to talk to Derek some more about things like what to do with closed down sellers who don't want to give you the information. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Nina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Derek Dombeck. Sort of like, I don't know what how to describe it, Derek. You're like famous amongst all the right people, I guess. Because... <laughs> <laughs> if you say so. Well, I mean, you're 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 getting you're getting now into a more nationwide kind of coaching mentoring uh, situation. I know you're really well known in Wisconsin, but these these events I go to where uh, people keep asking me over and over again if I know you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, uh, I heard he's a great negotiator. That's going to be my line from now on because I know that's the na- the next thing they're going to say. Um, so we have some. Uh, questions that listeners were kind enough to post on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash regoddess. And I think these are all things that I I wish I thought to ask you. Marie asks, when you're negotiating price, do you give sellers a written breakdown of why your offer is what it is, essentially showing your math? She says, I'm terrible at this. And I've heard that as a strategy. You know, I've heard people who said they've been successful by basically putting a piece of paper in front of the seller that says, here's what I think your house is worth fixed up. And here's what I think it's going to cost me to fix it. And here's how much money I want to make and that that works for them. Is that something you do? Okay. So yes and no. And the reason it's yes and no, Maria, is because I'm going to cater to the type of person that I am dealing with. Within the first couple of minutes of, of any interaction, I want to try and figure out based off of body language or what I'm hearing or what I'm seeing or a combination of everything, am I dealing with an analytical person, a person who's social conscious, meaning they're really concerned about what's going to happen to the property after they sell it to you? Or are they like me, a driver, meaning I just want to make a very quick decision. I don't need all the details. So right after my elevator pitch that I mentioned before, I'm going to start catering the entire conversation towards what I believe the personality type of this individual is. If I'm dealing with a very analytical person, I am absolutely going to want to try and put something in writing in front of them, mapping out everything right down to what my profit is going to be. I have no problem telling people I target a 20% profit margin on my flips. But if it's somebody like me who's a driver, I could care less about seeing how you came up with the number. I just want to know the number. And I feel like that's a, a huge part of my success is, is really catering to the, the different types of people. How did you learn to do that? Um, by mistake, because like anything, when we went through the downturn and I was getting, you know, collection calls and, and everybody was after me. And I, again, I, I started doing things different than the, the herd. And the herd was running and I turned around and I said to my bankers and to everybody else, what can we do to solve this? And this is when I started realizing and consciously took notes and recorded phone calls, went back to listen to them, figuring out 
what made people say yes versus what made them say no? What was the turning point of all these different negotiations or interactions? And that was the start of it. After that, I just became immersed in anything I could get that had to do with sales. But most of the sales books were very cheesy, you know, kind of the make you feel like the, the, I, I don't want to pigeonhole anybody, but the used car salesman mentality. And um, so I, again, I really started paying attention to everything I said, how I said it and how the, the person reacted to it. Um, and it took a long time, but now it, it just comes second nature. It sounds like if somebody wanted to kind of reproduce your, because what, what you're talking about, I mean, you, you have to be able to be both asking for the information you need and also simultaneously listening really hard and, and over and over and over again, because it's going to take a lot of sellers to, to find all the different kinds of personalities out there. It sounds like somebody who is scared of seller negotiation and now thinking, I'm never going to be able to do what he does because when I'm talking to a seller, I'm so nervous about asking the next question that I can't remember my name, that the well, solution might be just go talk to a whole bunch of sellers as fast as you possibly can. And the other way around it, <clears throat> Vina, is to trick yourself again. Do this with your spouse, your kids, your friends. You know, pick a goal. I mean, the goal might get to be, you know, have have Vina buy a round of drinks at the bar. What do I have to do to to, you know, lead her to believe it was her own idea to buy a round of drinks at the bar. And I'm serious. Like, this is all fun ways to practice. And um, you realize you've just set me up for two years of people trying to figure out how to get me to buy them drinks at bars, right? This is going to be a a game from now on. And here's the part about Avina is I absolutely did it intentionally. That's the whole point of my, my negotiation techniques. Everything is done on purpose. I will give you a really good example. Our mutual friend, when when he was retiring from their networking event, and he started, you know, reaching out to us, and I know he reached out to you and some other people about who might take over his networking event. Of course, I knew what my end goal was, but it it was how we interacted, and and you know, ultimately now I've taken over his networking event. Right, that was all done intentionally, and he knows it. But there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not trying to manipulate people. I'm not trying to take advantage of people. But leading somebody down the path to a preconceived um, conclusion that you know is good for them is not wrong. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. like you buying drinks for everybody. It's not wrong. And not as long as I've got your credit card. Absolutely. So question from Jay. I need to talk about seller's pain points. I understand it's in, it's. It is important to get to them. And I recently had a deal that I lost because I don't believe I was addressing their true pain because I don't believe they ever told me what it was. So the best way that you can get to somebody's pain point is become very vulnerable. And as I mentioned earlier, talking about foreclosure, um, give you an example. I deal a lot of estates, um, divorce situations, things that are going to be really painful for people. And of course they don't want to talk about it. Well, I lost my father. Most of us have lost a loved one in their life. So if I become vulnerable and I show people 
okay, I, I have been through this. I understand the grief. I understand what I had to deal with, with my mother still being alive and, and the, the house and the estate. And you just, you, but you do it with sincerity. You absolutely do not want to do that. If you've never lost a loved one, don't try and become, um, you know. Don't make it wanna, up. Yeah. I mean, they will see through up. that in a heartbeat. They but really can. They can, but there's nothing wrong with shedding some tears if that is what you feel like you should do and not fake, but you know, it, 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 I have cried on the phone. I've cried in person with people. And now I'm telling your entire audience that, which is vulnerable, you know, but it's what works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually that I, there is one more listener question that I want to uh, address, but I, I want to, there was a question I wanted to ask that fits in really well with what we're talking about right now, which is you occasionally get a seller who's just a brick wall. I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter how well you try and connect with them. It doesn't matter how vulnerable you are with them. They just, you know, they're just, this, this is to me, this is that seller. Look, you sent me the postcard. I don't want to answer all these questions. Just come and tell me what you'll pay for my house. What do you do with a seller like that? I I just flat out become a brick wall myself. I, I mirror and mimic. If he's so to give you the exact answer, I would say, Vina, I sent you the postcard from my office, but my staff sends out my postcards, so I have no idea what your house looks like. I'd love to give you an offer. If you tell me exactly what you want, I can tell you if I can do it or not, and you know, we can be on your way. And I don't want to waste your time. And at that point, they're usually going to understand that either they don't want to deal with me at all because I have no clue about their house, or they're going to understand that they need to give me a number or it's time to hang up. Mm-hmm. But don't waste your time. Mm-hmm. Now, I've had those those brick walls come down and ended up with people in, a, in you know, sobbing situations because once I figured out that they were going through a divorce, going through whatever their scenario was, they're, they're actually the, the easiest ones to convert once you get them to admit what their challenge is. And, and let's just be clear again, because we've got a lot of listeners who've been around the block a few times and a lot more who listen to the show because they're looking to start down the block, you know? And the, the, the pain point is not about, it's not about making the seller cry. It's not about you crying. It's about what problem are we trying to solve here? Because the problem is never really, I need to sell my house. Right. There's, there's something else there. And knowing that thing helps you craft the right answer. So uh, we're going to come back, talk about one more uh, sell, uh, listener question <laughs> that uh, has to do with turning people into Uh, potential sellers in creative deals. And we're also uh, going to talk about what do you do with those sellers that you're really scared of, which are the ones that are going to call you up and be mean and aggressive. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Derek Dombeck about how to get an advantage over all of your competitors who let's face it, 
their school of negotiating is my driving goal is to get the seller to his bottom dollar so I can make a lot of money. And if you will do it differently, you'll not have to worry too much about those competitors because when you actually are, you actually do care about people, it's coming across that way. You're not spending your time trying to impress them, but rather trying to solve their problem. I, I don't know, man. You don't have to worry too much about all that quote competition because your sellers are going to want to deal with the person they like, just like you want to deal with the person you like all the time. Uh, Derek, I want to ask the final listener question that came up on our Facebook page at, at uh, facebook.com slash Goddess. This is from Kevin. He says, are there particular phrases or questions that you use that you found helps the seller's mindset set shift toward being open to seller financing? I think I would go back to the way I, I approach everybody with my little elevator pitch, um, because by telling them that there's multiple strategies right at the beginning of your conversation, then it's it doesn't leave any questions off the table to be asked. Um, and I don't like using the word seller financing because I think it scares sellers. That's why in my little elevator pitch, I'll say we make payments over time or we take over debt payments. I don't say we take over your mortgage. I don't say we take over your loan. I say we take over debt payments. It's just softer. And I try and change my tone in my voice when I am saying that. Um, but at that point, again, there's really no questions that you can't ask because they understand that in order for you to come up with a, a multiple solution scenario, you have to know these answers. Okay. So I got to ask you a question, Derek, about a fad that I assume is also happening in Wisconsin, just like it is every place else on the planet. And that is this thing where people Real estate investors want the kind of seller contact process to be as high tech and low touch as possible. It just seems easier to have a room full of virtual assistants dialing for dollars and cold calling sellers, or uh, they like to do um, uh, ringless voicemails, right? I'm going to blast out a thousand ringless voicemails to people saying i'm derek and i'd like to buy your house or it's or it's same thing only with texts from the perspective of somebody who's negotiated as many deals with as many sellers as you have i'm going to ask you have you have you gone down that path have you tried that path and what do you think of it um we've considered trying that path we've not gone down it and the main reason is i don't love the shotgun approach to marketing i i want to be more targeted because my conversion rates are going to be significantly higher on a targeted lead versus a shotgun approach lead so for example our our social media marketing i typically have to talk to 50 to maybe 75 seller leads to get a contract because it's more of a shotgun approach. Anybody can respond to that marketing. If we are getting somebody that comes in from a direct mail piece or somebody that was a referral, I'm closing a one out of 10 to one mm -hmm. out of 15. So 
what's the highest and best use of my time and my day? Do I want to talk to 75 people to get a deal or do I want to talk to 10? I want to talk to 10. Mm -hmm. And that's really, to me, it depends on what your methodology is. If you're trying to be a wholesaler and and turn 25 deals a month and and really just turn it into a factory, um, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I've, I've tried hiring acquisition managers over the years. It, it's just never worked out. I really, I enjoy it. So I want my finger on the pulse of this piece of my business. And, but I want my life too. I want to be able to go and spend time with my family and travel and do all the other fun stuff. So I feel like there's nothing wrong with it, but you are going to throw a lot of money at it. And to me, I mean, my, my marketing budget is, is fairly small compared to the volume that we do. And um, I kind of like not having all that excess cost every month, hoping that we get enough leads to cover the next month's costs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um- it is something that is mostly done by people who want to build large wholesaling businesses. And it's always going to be the same cash offer. Oh yeah. It's just going to do the math and here's the cash offer. Mm-hmm. I strongly question whether that's a good way to start a relationship with somebody that you hope is going to end up letting you make them payments or take over their payments. Good. That's a whole different level, right? That's a whole different level of somebody trusting you and believing you're a real human being and all of that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, I think it's not a great foundation to start with because um, it, it, to me, they, they feel a little tricked or a little mm-hmm. cheated. Not that your intention was that, but I, I feel like that's how it comes across. Mm-hmm. Um, but it works for some people. It sure does. So new investors, I think one of the reasons that they – We'll put off talking to that first seller sometimes to way beyond the point that they've kind of given up on real estate because no one shoved a deed under their door in the middle of the night because they were using the secret and manifesting that, you know. I think one of the things that they fear is that sellers are going to be openly hostile. And I'm sure that's happened to you every once in a while. That, that someone has just been, grr, real estate investors are terrible people and I know you're a scam artist, whatever form that takes. How do you deal with those? Well, first of all, how often does it happen, really? And secondly, how, how do you deal with it? Okay, so it happens maybe 1% to 2% of the time. Um, most often it happens when we're marketing to probate. And you end up sending a marketing piece to somebody who either lost a a child or lost a a younger individual that doesn't even own any real estate. And so, yes, we have certainly had some some irate people call in. But the other 98% of the time, people couldn't be kinder. And I like to to use a humor in my discussions. Um, I like to kind of poke fun at myself and or other real estate investors. So if I know that there's this hostile person and they think I'm going to give them a lowball offer, I'll flat out tell them, listen, I don't want to give you a lowball offer. That's why I'm asking all these questions because I don't want you to compare me to all those other real estate investors or all those other flippers. 
So if you can call them out on what you know is going through their head before they actually bring it up, sets you apart from everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes their guard down really quickly. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of good stuff here, Derek, that I, that I really hope people are taking to heart and not just going, oh, it would work for Derek, but it wouldn't work for me. Because, you know, you'll find, you, you might not use the words Derek used, but you'll find, you'll find the same place where Derek is if you practice a lot. But I need to ask you amongst, amongst your students, amongst the people that you get to work with pretty closely, what do you think the number one mistake that they make is in trying to relate to sellers? They, they get too scared and don't ask enough questions about the money, about the finances. Um, they, they feel like they're going to offend somebody and so when they call me and, and ask for advice on structuring the deal, whether it's creatively or just for cash, and the first question I'll ask them is, you know, you, you want to take over this property subject to their mortgage. What do they owe on their mortgage? I don't know. I didn't ask. <laughs> I, and it happens so often. You can't be afraid to ask those questions. You just have to be gentle about it. But if again, if you're trying to help them, you're truly trying to help them, you owe it to that person to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, always coming back to the fear, like half of what we've talked about yep. <laughs> today is people's fear of other human beings who are in theory contacting you because they want help and you're afraid of them. And they're more afraid of you. They're shaking in their boots, dialing that phone. I guarantee it. <laughs> I, I, I 100% agree, and I really appreciate you, you sharing this. I, as I said at the beginning of the program, I wasn't sure if you were going to be able to like really get across what was happening when you were talking to sellers, and I think you did a great job of that, and I appreciate your time today, and I know all the other listeners do as well. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Vina. You've been listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. 